recording so i can record now okay uh, today we have our first hosted session one of many and uh, lela is the brave volunteer who's uh, you know being picked, not going to uh, i hope not uh, but why don't you start by uh, do you want to introduce yourself i don't want to put you through that but if you want to go ahead I'm sure. Uh, I'm a senior CS major. I've taken three other side courses, and I didn't really want to take any more, but this seemed very interesting. So here I am. How many courses have oh. you taken? Psych courses. This kilava three HP love and attachment and theories of learning all by Imran Rashid. Uh, he'll hate you for it, but it's Imran Rashid. This is very deep to. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've been the victim of that particular mistake, so I speak from experience. Um, so today we are talking about uh, a few, a couple of chapters from the book Hooked. Um, Lela, you had a very interesting question written down in your document in the very first one. I think we should start with that. Uh, you can. Uh, it was about how many people have actually done the reading. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, how many people have done the reading so that we have an idea lecture and how much should we keep a discussion based. No judgment, just please say no if you haven't done the reading, actually. Well, I like that you attached a purpose to it. My purpose is just to see squirming faces uh, when you sort of half lie, two pages So it still counts as reading key hai, like a key. Um, for future, I will create a poll which has percentages. I've done half the reading, a quarter of the reading, 75%. Uh, so everyone has said that they have done the reading. Uh, I don't know to what extent. Uh, I know, was it Minhal who did it in an hour and a half, and that's some real deep reading there. Um, yeah, 110%. Uh, I opened the reading today, and then uh, I, I started to understand why it was taking you guys so long, uh, because I was just skimming over the examples. Uh, again, curse of knowledge effect here. I, I knew that this wasn't particularly relevant, or this is bullshit, uh, but I forgot to mention that in the reading. I did put one section, which I said you could skip, but then there's other sections that sort of have relevant information, but the padding above and below that relevant information is a little too long. Um, Moid, what are you eating? It looks good. Is that ice cream? It's ice cream. Yeah. What flavor? It's um, cookies and cream. And I had toppings as well. Fancy. Very fancy. Uh, and you get a thumbs up from Bisma as well. So uh, let me do the ridiculous slides as virtual background thing again. And uh, I think it's gonna look even worse because I have a worse camera now. Um, and then the red shirt stands out even more. I should wear black shirts for this. Um, let me scoot over here, unless you want a bigger version of me. Uh, this should be fine. Um, so we are doing this book 
uh, I want to introduce you to the book first. Um, the reason why I've chosen this book amongst others, uh, also I have it here. So, uh, okay, well, this is, this doesn't work too well with the virtual background, but you can see I'm holding up a book. Um, and I've had three people ask me, do you have this book? Can I borrow it? Uh, they all work in tech and they all want to build habit forming products. Uh, so the reason I, why I chose this book is because it's um, prepackaged material. Uh, I personally thought it was fairly easy to read. Uh, there's not too many complexities. It's a sort of a breeze with lots of examples. Uh, the writing style is nice. Um, but the key thing about this is that the ideas here aren't new. Uh, they're basically taking existing research, packaging it into a more reader accessible format, and then uh, putting it out there. Um, so which is why there's a lot of bullshit in this book. They have to sell books uh, and they can't just say, oh, we took research and we put it in a book. He has to uh, you know, add some original thought. And those original thoughts I don't personally agree with. They're not based on research. They're just based on his opinion or how he thinks we should be categorizing uh, various concepts. Uh, and one of those was the part that I asked you to skip. Uh, the other thing about this book is that it's very controversial. Uh, and you can sort of start to see why by the title of the book. Um, should this book be out there? Um, and there's multiple ways to discuss this. Uh, I'd like your opinions, uh, and I will state my opinion while I wait for your opinion, uh, which is that, as I said, the research is out there. Um, it's nothing new, uh, but it's been made to be more accessible. Uh, it's been made to look more exciting. Uh, and so more people are likely to buy the book, especially people who are in the field. Uh, how do you feel about the ethics of writing a book that specifically says that you can hook people into your product. And since Lela is the host, we can start with her and then you can ask others. You can cold call, by the way, Lela. And that's hosting privileges there. Um, okay, so I don't think there's anything particularly wrong with it because uh, since, well, forever we've been using different marketing techniques that have existed. This is just more specialized towards apps. And it really depends on the reason or like purpose you're using it for. Jessica, there's this app called Fabulous, which mm -hmm. uses these methods and uh, to create good habits. Just right. leveraging this information for something positive. But then mm -hmm. other social media apps just want you to form an addiction and keep on using them. Like it's mm -hmm. very hard to go on a social media cleanse in this day and age because you've got your internal trigger is now linked with these apps. So I guess it depends on how you use the information. Right. It can be used for good or bad. Um, do you have any other opinions? Well, we use the chat to uh, have an opinion. I'm sure you all have opinions, but you're hesitant to share it. Um, Visma says that the research already exists and books won't make things worse. Um, it can actually be used to unhook yourself. Uh, funny you say that because 
uh, this guy, Mr. Neer Eyal, uh, got a lot of flack for writing a book that is perceived to be evil. And so he went and wrote another book called Indistractable, which is the exact opposite of his first book, um, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. So, पहले वो बता रहे हैं कि प्रोडक्ट्स बनाने कैसे हैं फिर वो बता रहे हैं कि इनसे बचना कैसे है विच इज अटल स्ट्रेंज अगेन इट्स गुड दैट द बुक एग्जिस्ट बट द पर्सन दैट इट्स कमिंग फ्रॉम द सोर्स इज अटल क्वेश्चनेबल बट इन केस यू वॉन्ट टू रीड दैट बुक इट्स देयर एज वेल सो बोथ ऑफ दैम आर नेशनल बेस्ट सेलर्स कोट एंड कोट सो लैला मैं हैबिट्स and that's precisely what this book is about um habits research into habits is not new there's various models and they more or less amount to the same thing and they've just like all of these gentlemen um three of them have written about habits um and they're basically more or less the same thing but they're uh, making their proprietary models to sell their books because if they just repeat what the first person said it's not going to sell so in hooked he says that there are triggers action rewards and investments the other book irresistible by adam alter which i also have here and which we'll be reading from next time around it's called irresistible the rise of addictive technology and the business of keeping us hooked so very similar to what we have here and he says that there are goals there is feedback there is progress and escalation and then a couple of other uh, smaller uh, components of this and uh, mr charles here who is a very eminent writer on habit formation simply says there are cues routines and rewards and if you wanted to uh, use the psychological aspect i think this one is probably the closest in terms of terminology there's cues there's behaviors and then there's rewards but we are using hooked because it's written specifically for tech and i think it's uh, the writing style is a little more uh, accessible so within that he says that there is the hook model and uh, does anyone want to give an example that uses these four components of the hook model and lela as i said you can cold call uh, you can be evil here um ali would you like to give an example preferably of like an app um maybe um i can use the same example as the book of the phone go for it <laughs> so for example if i have let's say if i have a particular app not a call if i get a notification from instagram so mm-hmm. let's say someone has commented on a picture or liked one of my posts or something so that will be an external trigger of me wanting to pick the phone up and the internal trigger would be more or less self satisfaction if i posted a picture of something i've done or a work of art or whatever so that's an internal trigger of me wanting um, some sort of appreciation so i'll pick the phone up and the action in this aspect is the part where i am picking the phone up and just interacting with it the reward mm-hmm. is again getting satisfaction in the form of likes or um clout to say and mm-hmm. and, and investment is me devoting my time into it or something i'm not sure mm-hmm. um 
I can I think we can work with that example. Uh, next week we'll do the rewards and investments part of it. Uh, but I put the intro in this book because it sort of like gives you a summary of all four of the components before talking about the first two. Um, so I'll take that example again and I'll say actually let's take uh, the example of Snapchat. So a trigger is a prompt for you to open Snapchat. It could be external or internal. An external trigger would be a notification from Snapchat that says, hey, open me, someone sent you something. An internal trigger could be, I have nothing to do, I'm bored, let me pick up my phone and open Snapchat. The action is of course, opening Snapchat and then doing whatever you do on it. The reward you're getting is you are now updated with whoever sent you whatever picture it was. Um, and then the investment part is when you sent them, one of the examples of investment is that now you have streaks. And so even if you didn't want to do the action of opening Snapchat, uh, you have streaks that you want to maintain. And you know once you have 600 or 700, or I believe it was 1500 for some people here, uh, you're so invested in it that you have to go through this whole process each time. You can't pull away from it. Uh, and then that investment acts as a trigger. So uh, if you've ever sent a snap that just says S or streak or something, that is a trigger uh, for your investment in that in those streaks. Um, so we I'd are like going to, to give an example of that. For it. Yep. So um, like when I'm bored, then I just open Netflix, but then I don't really have time to watch an actual show. So I open something random. Mm -hmm. But now I've invested time in that show. And even though it's very trashy, I still continue to watch it. And I'm questioning myself why I'm watching it, but I still do. And Netflix has made it very accessible for me as well. You know, I just tap, open it, tap once again, continue watching. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to be talking about the action part of that. And then uh, Netflix also sends you notifications if you have it on your phone. And I think even in the web version, there's a ghanti upar kone mein. I don't use Netflix, so I, I'm not too aware of all the triggers that are going on there. Uh, but, you know, a lot of these can be applied to like, the same sorts of apps. Um, so we're going to start with triggers. And uh, the first thing to know about triggers is that he says that there are two types, external and internal. Uh, you will ignore paid, earned, relationship, owned triggers. It's, that's the part where he's just making stuff up. Uh, I'm not saying that they're not valid, uh, but just that those are things that are his opinion and fine, he's categorized them into these four categories. Um, but because he hasn't cited any research and because you don't see these, very often um, we're going to keep it aside. Um, external and internal, however, these terms are used in psychology fairly often. They're used for uh, mostly for motivation or behavior or cues, more or less converging into the same sort of vocabulary that I introduced earlier. Um, and there's a few key differences between external and internal triggers. Uh, so external triggers are out there. Uh, in the book, he says you can look at them, you can feel them or touch them, or you know, if it's an app, I guess you can sort of touch them if you're tapping them, but they are out there. It's information in the world. Um, so if it's um, 
it's dark outside now. Uh, that's an external trigger for me to turn on the lights. Um, but if I want to turn on the lights myself, that's an internal trigger. Um, and we'll get on to internal triggers in just a bit. Um, it's you're doing something because someone or something prompted you, asked you to do something. Uh, obviously you have control over whether or not you want to do that thing, but not so much control as you might think. That's what the purpose of this book is. Um, and I've tried to say this in three different ways, but all three of these points are basically the same thing. Information in the world means it's external. Doing something because of an external prompt comes from outside. The same thing, uh, depending on whichever uh, definition or point uh, comes more naturally to you. Uh, and I'll illustrate with an example in just a bit. Internal triggers are the exact opposite. I, I can move back and forth between the two. You can see what's changing. Uh, information about what to do is a learned association in your memory. E something that you're doing because you want to do it, not because someone told you to do it. Uh, and it comes from within, again, the same thing. So uh, as an example, uh, are trends external triggers? Um, yes, because they are not something, it's something that's out there in the world. They're not something that you want to do because you want to do it. Um, as an example, it's currently 6.22 PM here. Uh, 9.22 for uh, Sakina, so it might not apply. Uh, if I'm feeling hungry at this point, it's an external trigger for me to go and have a snack to make myself a cup of tea. Um, and so I go and do that because I'm feeling hungry. That's coming from within. It's a feeling that I have. Nobody asked me, nobody told me, there's no cue. I want to drink tea because I want to drink tea because I'm hungry or thirsty. Uh, I don't drink tea, by the way. I told you that in the first class, so I don't know how relevant this example is. Uh, but I assume this is normally tea time for everyone. An external trigger would be that it's 6 p.m. So I want to drink tea. Or that it's the end of my classes or I've just come back from the office. That difference between the two is what guides our behavior. Uh, an external trigger could be uh, let's take another example. Uh, 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 actually, let me make you think of an example. Lela, who are we calling up next? Or you can go. I'll, I'll just go. Uh, external trigger would be it's dinner time, but I'm not hungry. But my family's calling me downstairs to have dinner. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's one. Yeah. So you're yes. going to have dinner because someone prompted you to, someone asked you to. Uh, and so the way we're applying this to technology is quite simply that an external trigger is, let's say a notification from Food Panda that says, hey, it's dinner time. Why don't you open Food Panda and order this awesome 50% off deal from, uh, where are you kids getting deals from these days? I don't know. Uh, is Buddy still around at Lums? Uh, have they moved on? It used to be a thing. Uh, hot and spicy, that's been around forever. Uh, in my freshman year, they used to have Gloria jeans uh, and Hotspot, I think, within Lums. Uh, 
Lums doesn't exist anymore. Uh, funny, I just came from Lums uh, an hour ago, and you're right, it, it just doesn't feel the same uh, for us. Also for me, because it's, it's just bricks and gardens and footpaths without actual students and halagula there. Um, now they have Jamin, which uh, S and go ahead, you have raised your hand. Um, so I was just thinking of Instagram and how an external trigger for that could be like if my friend says, oh, I have this business and I share that on my um, story. So mm -hmm. that could perhaps be an external trigger. Or if I see my other friends um, sharing my friend's story, that could act as a nudge towards me doing the same. Whereas mm -hmm. uh, if I upload a story because um, like it contributes to my sense of self and like you know how Instagram is basically just indexing people's profiles or if I want to put up a picture because I think it like that accurately um, or not even accurately, that's just the side of the, of my life that I want to show and mm -hmm. contributes to that very intrinsic sense. Um, I think that would be internal an internal trigger. Uh, yes. And I'm glad you bring that up because a very related example is if you want to buy new shoes, for instance, and if you put into Google, uh, I don't know, leather shoes for men, uh, that comes from within you. I want to buy shoes, therefore I will search for shoes. But if Google shows you an ad or Instagram shows you an ad for shoes and says, hey, do you want to buy these nice shoes? That's an external trigger. You didn't plan for that to happen. But now it's there, there's a prompt for you to then search for it. So um, they're sort of linked and I'll come to how they're linked in a bit. And uh, Shahrazade asks if uh, this is an example of chaining, which it is, it's uh, for those of you who haven't taken HP. Um, I'm not going to go into what chaining is. Uh, I think it's more relevant for the next session where we talk about rewards. Um, but this is, you can see, uh, with the hook model here that it's a loop. It's not that the action, the whole model ends with the investment. It's further triggering. The investment is acting as a trigger for the next action as well. So it keeps going on. It's a, uh, you know, that's why it's called hooked because you can't remove yourself from that. Um, so that's what I was talking about where the external trigger can move to become an internal trigger. They're not independent of each other necessarily. Um, some external triggers can move on to become internal triggers. Food Panda, again, I think is a good example of that. The first few times uh, you might get an external trigger from your friend who says, hey, download Food Panda, it's a convenient app. The next few times, uh, the external trigger could be, um, hey, why don't you order something for us? Um, or it could be Food Panda sending you a push notification that says, hey, we have this great deal going on, order from us. These are all external prompts for you to act on that. But when you do that over and over and over again, over a number of, I don't know, weeks or months or years, uh, eventually that external trigger becomes an internal trigger. So next time you're hungry, which is an internal trigger, the first thing you do is open Food Panda because the action of opening Food Panda has now transferred from the external trigger of a notification to the internal trigger of hunger. Um, 
and it could also be boredom a lot of people just open food panda dekhte hain kya hai uh, which is the uh, oh okay it's not the next slide it's the slide after that but uh, one of the things he talks about is the five wise method um and this is a concept that's um used in consumer research in user research uh, also um it's been talked about in multiple books abhi mere samne padi hai i'm uh, tempted to pull another book out and show you but i'll save that for later um and the idea behind the five whys method is to understand what motivates big people to do a certain action um and the answer spoiler alert is that it's usually an emotion it's a deep seated internal thing uh, that might act as a trigger um so emotions are internal triggers uh, this is a particularly brutal exercise but does anyone want to volunteer for why they do a behavior and then analyze that using asking themselves why five times or i can ask and you can answer um we're going to go deep into the understanding of your behavior and how your brain works uh i have a question if anybody would like to volunteer preferably somebody who uses instagram uh mahi has her hand up so mahi uh why do you post on instagram probably like i'm like very I would say okay I haven't posted in a while then I would post and like if I go outside and I take pictures then I'm like I have pictures so let's post them Why not post it on Snapchat instead Um because it's more permanent on Instagram Why is it important that it's permanent Because I get to see it when I'm bored or like when I want to remember something I can go and see my feed and also like I'll get to have a feed a good feed yeah Why is it important to have a good feed area Because um it pleases my aesthetic sense like I would it's important to have a good feed or the other one why is it important to have a feed because a feed is like a, a collection of memories Yeah yeah so you like, want a good feed so why is that important when someone follows me they can see my good feed and why do you think it like uh, what do you think they will say in their mind what happens when they see your good feed what will they think i don't think they'll think that much they'll just see it and if like this i guess yeah i don't think they'll think anything i don't think people have that much time but uh how they will say get cheapy aesthetic feed I have a question here to add and it's not a why question necessarily but if you think that they don't have time and they don't pay attention then why is it important to curate a feed that you think people won't be interested in seeing or won't pay attention to Okay so like there like two different feeds over here like one is because one is that when someone follows you they're curious about you at that particular moment so they would see your feed at that moment so us waqt they have like you okay then us waqt they do have that minute to think about it that's the only time probably they'll see the feed otherwise they would see your post they won't necessarily see the whole outlook of, outlook of your feed so mm-hmm. so that moment when person follows you you kind of do want they get to know 
what you are like who you are on instagram and if you have a good enough representation through the feed so maybe that helps okay why is it important for people to know who you are now we're getting into the depths of things um And okay so it's important for people why is it important for people to know because they're probably like a friend or an acquaintance when they follow me that's why I accept their request so or or if they if like I have a public account right so then I would want them to see like what I'm trying to put out that I mean, if it's public then of course it's like more of like it's if it's like a blog then I want them to see what I think my thoughts I wanted to put it out there mm-hmm I'm tempted to go through a few more wise but I think I will spare you I think <laughs> I don't okay. think I'm good enough wise to answer but I'll uh I didn't get the answer in five wise and I also said five wise I think the five wise thing is a, a recommendation and it depends on what those wise are if you phrase them correctly it's not a magic number uh but if you're up for more wise I can send more wise your way are you Don't mind. I really don't think I have good answers, but I do. Please mm-hmm. tell Sakshi. Okay. Sharzadi, go ahead. Didn't you get the answer? Because I think her third or second answer was that she posts when she's bored. So then the logical conclusion would be that there's an anxiety related to being bored, and you don't want to be bored. So you got the emotion. You got your answer in five ways. Mm-hmm. Um. Yes. And. Uh, I think there's a lot to unpack here uh, just because you get the answer doesn't necessarily mean you want to stop depending on how uh, deeply you want to go into that behavior uh it's fun for the asker not so fun for the answerer uh and yes if the objective is to get to an emotion then uh you got boredom at the start but the things that you added after that those are your words not hers and so you don't as a researcher you don't want to be putting words or evaluations on what your interviewee is saying uh, ideally you want to for those words to come from her so she didn't use the word anxiety for instance it's a logical step boredom se aage anxiety and uh, you know i can start to see those themes when she says that she wants people she wants to put out her thoughts in the world uh and for people to see them that's a, a some component of sociability and if people aren't seeing it then obviously you get anxiety but you don't want to jump from a to z uh until that person is telling you that there is a b and a c and a d and an e um that being said if you're uh, doing this with multiple people multiple times you'll start to see trends and so you can more sort of narrow down what is the most common purpose uh some people use instagram because they're bored some people use it because they want to feel seen or heard some people use it just because their friends use it and there's no emotion attached to it if their friends leave it then they leave it um so ideally you're not doing this with just one person uh you're doing it with multiple people um but that being said it's always a good habit to do it on yourself like ask yourself why you're ordering from food panda um and then see where that rabbit hole takes you uh and you can do this in your reflection papers as well uh mahi thank you for volunteering to do this in front of 20 odd people uh i think I even if it were <laughs> <laughs> even if it were just 
two people, uh, it's still difficult to do it. Uh, even if it's just one person, yourself, writing down your thoughts in a notebook, it's difficult even then. Um, but the more uh, intimate or close the environment, the uh, stronger the answers you get. Uh, and the reason why we want to get to an emotion, and it's good that Maggie mentioned this particular emotion, is that the, one of the worst triggers you can have is boredom. Um, other triggers, other emotions that are stronger are things like fear, panic, um, anxiety. But those are things that you don't necessarily uh, feel as often as you feel boredom and in the micro doses that you feel boredom in. Um, if you've had a class in SDSP and you use the elevator, it takes all of what, seven or nine seconds to get to where you want to go, but you pull out your phone because you're bored for seven seconds. Um, and then that repeats when you're in the line for PDC, uh, when you're walking and you want to avoid someone, you pull out your phone. Um, when you're doing the reading and you're bored for, again, what, 15 seconds for sick notification, I just one notification, let me check it. Um, so boredom is particularly bad because it happens so frequently and also because it's a relatively innocuous emotion. Fear, anxiety, you probably have countermeasures for those. You have a support system or you know, you know it's bad, but it will go away in a bit. Boredom occurs over and over and over again, hundreds of times a day, ranging from anywhere from five seconds to, I don't know, five hours, depending on what you're doing. Maybe you're going to Islamabad from Lahore in a car. And so the more triggers, the more actions that are attached to boredom, the worse it gets. And usually the actions that we do attach to boredom are opening Facebook, then that acts as a trigger for opening Instagram, and then that acts as a trigger for opening Snapchat, and then you're on that carousel of going through all your apps, and then you end up at the first one again after 15 minutes, and then you refresh Facebook to see, uh, and then that, you know, you're down a spiral there. Um, what about when do, we are doing three things together? Uh, I would imagine if you're doing Instagram and TV and Netflix together, you're probably still bored, which is why you pick up, uh, you know, go away from Instagram and open Snapchat instead. So boredom is, that, that's why it's the deadly uh, trigger here. Uh, it is um, 640, yeah. Like you've picked boredom as the deadliest trigger and even in the book, the author mentions how negative internal triggers are more impactful than positive internal triggers. Mm -hmm. But um, we open Snapchat and Instagram whenever there's a happy occasion or something like good happen, or you're mm -hmm. just having fun to show to everybody else, you know, it's not relieving boredom, but that's also very powerful. And I think maybe that's not um, given the right like, importance. Mm -hmm. Um, I completely forgot to mention that triggers can be positive emotions as well. Uh, and many of the, them have the same action associated with them. You're bored, negative emotion, Instagram, you're happy, positive emotion, you want to share that happiness, also Instagram. And so uh, the more emotions a product can attach itself to, the more you use it and then you know the more you're hooked onto it. Uh, compare it to maybe something like I don't know, a, a news website. Uh, the reason why you open that is not necessarily 
that you're happy. Uh, you just want to be informed of something. You want to know what's going on. And once you are aware of what's going on, that's it. You stop. So people aren't addicted to the news as much as they are to news feeds. And the reason for that is the emotion that is attached to the trigger for that. Um, so let's pause here. And um, we have this song here called Bloom, which Laila has picked. So I will play this for about five minutes. Oh, it is exactly five minutes and two seconds. So we shall reconvene at 6.45. Uh, let me know if you can hear this. Yeah. Okay. Resume recording. There we go. Uh, so my inclination would be to say yes, as I said, uh, but I would want to do a little more research into why that might be the case. Um, but one of the reasons is obviously that attention spans are reducing. Uh, and I don't think that's limited to uh, generations. You can see that even your parents who are addicted to technology 
also feel the need to pull out their phone, maybe a little less than you and I, but it's definitely there compared to 10 or 15 years ago. Um, I can tell you, I can't sit and watch a three hour movie uh, in one go as much as my friends would like to show me long ass Bollywood films. I just can't do it. Uh, and then I thought, okay, maybe I'll just watch 40 minute shows. And I think I can't even do that. And most neither can most people. There's usually a lot of phone use going on and multitasking. And then even for 20 minute shows, uh, you know, you're, Rarely do you sit in one go and watch a 20-minute show and never check your phone or do anything else. Uh, and so advertising, which is what we're going to be doing in a couple of weeks, has reflected that we went from five-minute commercials to two-minute commercials to one-minute commercials to 30-second commercials to 15-second commercials. And now we have six-second commercials on YouTube and sometimes even one or two-second commercials. Um, we do binge watch the whole series. Uh, so what would normally take us Five hours probably takes us closer to eight or 10 to watch a series. Um, so what we are going to do next is to do the action part uh, of this model. And basically the action part is how likely are you to act upon a trigger? Trigger Melgia in the form of a notification or your parents calling you or it's dark outside or it's 6 p.m do you act on that trigger or not? What determines whether or not you act on a trigger? Um, there are multiple answers to that. This gentleman has used B is equal to MAT. We are going to use ELM, uh, different models, and you'll see how they more or less combine to do the same thing. Um, but this one, I think, again, he uses the example of BJ Fogg, um, and he doesn't actually cite research for it. Again, it's just him doing his proprietary model. Uh, this one is uh, more deeply rooted in psychology, so we're going to do the ELM model. The next question is, what is the ELM model? Uh, well, it stands for the Elaboration Likelihood Model, and there's a lot of text here, so let me uh, go through this text and um, you'll see how it all starts to make sense. Uh, there are multiple theories of persuasion out there. Uh, there are multiple books, authors, researchers, they all study persuasion habits and persuasion effectively is, are you convinced by a message? And if yes, then do you act on it or not? Um, these are big words here, elaboration, likelihood <clears throat> model. Um, I don't know why they chose that terminology because it doesn't make sense even to me, but essentially what they're trying to say is how likely are you to elaborate on a message that you received? Uh, essentially saying, how likely are you to act upon a trigger? Uh, in this case, they're calling a trigger a message or a communication or whatever. So if I show you an ad that says, buy leather shoes now, you've received the message, will you act on it or not? Will you elaborate on that message? or not and to what extent. Um, and so they say it depends on multiple uh, factors, uh, one of which is which route you're using to process the message. And that's where we come to our old friends, system one and system two from the last class. System one, as a reminder, our peripheral route is fast automatic processing, things you don't think about, things that occur instantly, uh, things you do every day. And system two, 
uh, is slow and conscious. It's effortful. You're really trying to decide whether or not you want to do something or not. Uh, one of the examples they give is um, if you're buying a new car, you get an ad for uh, a Ferrari or something. Um, if you're using system one to process that message, buy a Ferrari, you're thinking it looks nice. It's red. I will get lots of attention. Girls will start to like me more. I will be fast. Um, I will look manly, things like that. But if you're using system two to process that message, then you're thinking about things like, um, you know, how much does it cost? Does it meet my needs? Um, can I drive it to work? Uh, what's the mileage? How uh, long do the tires last or how often? What's the maintenance cost? These are things that you're probably sitting and thinking about and calculating. Whereas uh, if you see an ad for, I don't know, a new bag or new shoes and you just feel like I want them and I want them right now because they look good, uh, that's system one thinking. So if the answer to the question, how likely are you to elaborate on a received message is, well, it depends on whether you're using system one or system two. Um, then the next question logically that follows is, what determines which route is being used. And for that, the ELM theory, the ELM model, the ELM model, it's the elaboration likelihood model. So it's just the ELM, uh, that's like LUMS University, MCB Bank, NIB Bank, those are still uh, on the lakes outside A13, ATM machine. Uh, so according to the ELM, uh, there is motivation, there is ability, and there is opportunity uh, on which route you're using. And you can start to see that M and A here are quite similar to the B is equal to MAT model here. Um, the first two are the same. Third, I think that opportunity trigger And then some people say that opportunity is just part of ability. And I'll explain these in a bit. Um, but essentially, again, you can start to see they're more or less the same thing, um, whether you're team Mao or team Matt, um, but we are team Mao for the purposes of this class. Um, there are some key differences between how they define motivation in each of the models though. So in the MAO model, uh, in the what he says in the book is that there are three core motivators. And I think he's talking about I, I just skipped over it because that's one of those bullshit parts that I didn't read, but I think it's talking about a need to be, a need to feel, a need to, I don't know. Uh, Lela, you had the notes for this. So what was he saying? Yeah, um, so you want to seek pleasure and avoid pain, seek hope mm -hmm. and avoid fear, seek social acceptance and avoid rejection. Mm -hmm. So these are very grand ideas. And again, I'm not saying they're not true, uh, just that I personally don't subscribe to this particular model uh, because uh, they tend to exist to sell speaker sessions and books. Um, the motivation part in the ELM, I was about to say model, the elaboration likelihood model uh, says that there are, uh, well, I've cherry picked two of the most important uh, reasons for motivation. Number one of which is personal relevancy. So if something is personally relevant to you, you're more likely to act upon it. Um, if I get an ad for a nice new handbag, the handbag isn't personally relevant to me and my interests. So I am not likely to click on that ad or go and buy it. 
if I get an ad for, I don't know, a, a book that I'm interested in, that's relevant to me. So I'm more likely to act upon it. So personal relevancy to a trigger um, is a key part of determining whether or not you act on that trigger. Um, you might have a banking app installed and then they send you a notification that says, apply for a loan for your car. That trigger is not personally relevant to you because you're not interested in a loan for a car. So you don't act upon that trigger and you don't tap the, no the notification. The other part of it is uh, consistency with prior attitudes, values, and beliefs. So uh, um, leveraging the confirmation bias. Uh, yes, that's uh, part of it. So if you think that, I don't know, maybe if you are not a smoker and someone hands you a cigarette, which is a trigger for you to smoke, you probably won't take that action of smoking because it's not consistent with your prior attitudes or values, which say that smoking is not good or it's harmful for my health. And therefore, even if the the trigger is strong and uh, the thing is personally relevant. If it's not uh, consistent with what I already believe in, I'm not likely to take that action. That being said, um, some triggers or some messages can shape your attitudes and values. So if you were team Apple and now you are on Android, um, you know, you shift your beliefs about what these companies mean and what the devices do for you. Um, the other part of it, uh, the second part is ability. Uh, ability can be your cognitive ability. It can be your knowledge. Uh, it can be the complexity of the task. So um, maybe I have the motivation to buy a new car. I see an ad that's personally relevant to me uh, and it conforms with my prior beliefs that a Ferrari is a good car to have. Do I now have the ability to process that message? If the message says that, um, I don't know, it goes from zero to 60 in 1.4 seconds, what does that message mean? Does it mean anything to me? Do I have the ability to um, you know, process what this is telling me? It's telling me that it's fast, um, but maybe I say, I don't know, it's, it has a six transmission gearbox which is a lot harder to understand. Do you have the cognitive ability to understand what that message is telling you? Do you have the knowledge or experience to understand that message? Again, similarly linked, uh, because if you have the ability, then you sort of also have the knowledge or you might not. And then the complexity of the message, okay, how easy it is to understand. Um, and the easier the message, the more ability you have, the more knowledge you have, the faster, uh, the action is for you to take. Uh, and then the third one is opportunity. And some people say that ability and opportunity are kind of the same, they're similar, which they are. But as the name implies with opportunity, you're thinking about abhi mokha hai ya nahi. Do I have the time to do this? Do I have the money to do this? Do I have the other resources to do it? Resources could be cognitive resources as well. Are there distractions there? Uh, what is the message saying? How fast, how, um, no, how many times is it being repeated? Uh, and, um, you know, I want to sort of summarize this with this table here uh, with terrible quality. Let me put myself up here. So this is a lot many more things than I put on the slides. I think I put 
uh, what I put on is uh, the crux of it, where you can see that uh, how these categories start to make sense in determining whether or not you want to take an action. Um, I'll go with the car example again. Is the car personally relevant to me? Yes, as a personal responsibility, maybe like I am the breadwinner of the house and my house needs a car. So I am the one who has to buy that car. I am the one making that decision. Um, this is talking about messages. So here, number of sources, how many people are telling you to buy that car? Uh, also the source itself, is it coming from a trusted friend or is it just uh, you know, a random person? Uh, need for cognition. Again, I'm not going to go through all of them, uh, but when you combine motivation, ability, and opportunity, you are you get action. If one of these components is missing, uh, the action is less likely to happen. Um, so I think in the book he used the example that um, maybe you're getting a phone call, uh, and so you have the motivation to answer that phone call, depending on who it is. You have the ability to do it because obviously you have a hand, you can pick up the phone, put it to your ear. But if the if the phone is, uh, I don't know, in the other room or if it were on silent, uh, then the opportunity for you to answer that call isn't there. Uh, or maybe you know, you're distracted or it's noisy or you just can't take that call right now. Um, so that sort of determines, uh, it gives us a summary of uh, whether or not someone takes action after they receive a trigger. So right now we're we're on part two of this four part model. Part one is that you get um, a trigger, which could be external and internal. And then whether or not you choose to act on that trigger depends on whether you have the motivation, the ability and the opportunity to do so. Um, and the end goal of all of this as uh, a, a designer or a product manager or uh, a tech person is to reduce friction. Um, a good question, Ali, where do the routes fit in? Uh, let me go back and re-explain that. Uh, what determines which route is being used? So if you have the motivation, ability and opportunity uh, to use system two thinking, um, you know, your making a slower, more conscious decision. Uh, a car is a bad example for that, but let's say you're picking where you want to eat. If you have the motivation, ability and opportunity to do that research, ask everyone, look at the menu prices, uh, you know, look at all the reviews, then you're using system two to make that decision. Or if you're just using photos, the sweet then the food must be good as well, which is my pet peeve by the way, every time I recommend a restaurant to a friend, he opens Google Maps, looks at the photos and says, this cave fry is doing a chini like this, I'm going to And I'm like, how, what is this? Go and actually taste it. So then you're using system one uh, to make that decision. Um, so where it, uh, greater MAO, yes, Minhal, that's a good way to summarize it. The more of these you have, uh, the more likely you are to use system two and the less you have, the more likely you are to use system one. And this is a spectrum, you know, it's not that, okay, motivation hai, tick, ability hai, tick, uh, opportunity nahi across. It's a range. How much motivation do you have? How much opportunity do you have? Um, and so the end goal is to reduce friction, which is a term that's used in physics and in technology. 
um, in physics. I'm hesitant to, I have to brush my O-level physics, but I, okay, here is an attempt at explaining friction after, what, 10 years. Friction is an opposite force to what you want to do. So if you are walking forward, there is some friction that's helping you keep on the ground, that's preventing you from slipping. Um, if you're moving something across the table, the reason why it's not sliding like that is because there's friction between the object and the table. Resistance, thank you. Uh, could have said that earlier, so I didn't have to say, you know, torture myself with fucking words from thin air. Uh, friction is resistance to doing an action. Um, and if you make a product that's frictionless and uh, take note of that term, because a lot of uh, companies say we make frictionless experiences. The idea is to reduce the number of steps uh, to make it easier to perform that action. Um, so imagine that you are ordering from Foodpanda. Um, first, you have to download the app. Then you have to enter your details to sign up. Then you have to go through restaurants, pick a restaurant. Then you have to go through the menu. Uh, pick what you like, then you place the order. Um, you know, you have to see, you have to add a card. If you're paying by card, you have to enter your address, confirm it, and then you place an order. Now imagine you had to do that every time you wanted to order from Food Panda. That's a lot of steps. There's a lot of friction. Um, so at some point you'll say, you know what, maybe instead of using Food Panda today, I'll just call the restaurant or, you know, I'll just eat at home. But if Food Panda were to reduce the friction involved, then what they do is first, they make an app. So once you download it, it's there on your phone and then you open it and then there's a reorder button. When you tap that reorder button, you get what you wanted, Pele. Uh, your address is saved there, your card is saved there. You don't have to go through all of those steps again. And so they're reducing the friction it takes for you to reorder from Food Panda. And these can take the form of very, very tiny uh, things. So maybe before it took you two taps to get to where you wanted. Now it only takes one tap. It's a reduction in friction. Um, and the more you iterate on how frictionless you want it to be, the easier it is for people to act on what you want them to do. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of friction in reading, for instance, in the course. So first you have to know what reading to do, then maybe you go and order a course pack, then the course pack takes two to four days for them to print it. It also costs money. And then you carry that heavy course pack throughout campus. There's lots of steps, lots of inconveniences. Um, but if I were to say, actually ditch the course pack, here's an audio book that you can read. It's right there on your phone. You pick up your phone, you press the download button and it's there and you're getting the same information. Not the same information though, because the medium is the message and the audiobook is different from the book, even if the content is the same. Um, but uh, yes, typing in your details each time, whenever you're signing up for a service, you get sign up with Apple, sign up with Facebook, sign up with Google. So instead of having to put in your email address and name and everything and birthday each time, you have that one button you can tap and that's reducing the friction it takes for you to sign up. Um, and so um, to summarize friction, what are the blockers that there are to complete a task? What's the easiest path to uh, completing an action? And as when you start taking out the blockers, what you're essentially doing is increasing the motivation, the ability and the opportunity to get that action. Um, because 
as we saw with ability and opportunity, a lot of it depends on how distracted you are, how many, uh, how much time you have, um, and uh, how frequently you're getting the message, things like that. So the easier it is, the less friction there is to do an action, the more likely people are to do it. Uh, I shall stop here and uh, I will concede the remaining time for Della to ask us a few questions that she has prepared. Um, so has anybody gone on a social media cleanse? And maybe you want to elaborate on why that's a relevant question uh, yeah. for this as well. Uh, so basically Hook's model is about how we become addicted to these apps. And uh, I wanted to know like I personally have gone on a social media cleanse. So I want to like to know if anybody has and then for how long and what prompted you to come back to. So whoever said yes, how long have you gone on a social media cleanse? One day? One whole day. <laughs> I shall play music while people mm. try to answer. So the longest we have is one week on Instagram. I also like that it says not all apps at one time. That's like doing it in hard mode. You've got to have an, an easy access to completing an action when you're bored. I um, uh, went on a partial cleanse last summer. Um, like I left Snapchat, I left Facebook. On Instagram, I just made a private account where I followed the art content I like. And actually, like I didn't realize it, but kafi zada like cognitive load uthata. Okay, this immense pressure and this information, and I didn't know what anybody was doing for two three months, and it didn't make a difference in my life if I didn't know. Because if I meet you, then you talk about it, I find out. But I didn't personally need to know, okay, what are you up to? But now that I'm back on social media, even like class ke beech mein, or even doing class, I'm using my phone, bathroom jaati phone leke jaati So the thing is, um, why, for the people who came back to social media, why did you come back? For me, it was actually my friends prompting me to come back to it. Must have been a very powerful external trigger. What prompted you to start the cleanse, may I ask? Um, last summer, one of my friends went on a social media cleanse and then she told me how relaxing it is. And I was like, well, you know, that sounds nice. Why don't I just try it for a week? But then I liked it so much that I tried it for like two, three months, like until I came back to Lumps, I was used, I was off social media. Mm -hmm. So did I, yeah, I did feel the urge to fill my time, but I would fill it up with um, TV shows, movies, books, and when talking to people in physical setting. Uh, it's funny that you stopped the cleanse after you came back to Lums, because I would imagine Lums is giving you the opportunity to talk to those people in person and actually physically be there to see what they're doing. Uh, rather than summer vacations when you're at home and you're completely out of the know. 
I was more like a promise to my friends that I will come back to it mainly because everybody was missing the memes I sent them. Ah, uh, memes. And tenses uh. be involuntary. You broke involuntary, my. Involuntary, like what? He broke his phone, so he didn't intend to. Uh, well, how how was that experience, Essen? Really anxiety-inducing, huh? Ninth grade, me there was no so. What do you mean there was no social media in ninth grade? How old are you? What was ninth grade for you? Maybe ninth grade, me shayad na ho to. What was my ninth grade? My ninth grade was two thousand six to seven. So Facebook just started out, and none of our friends, my friends, were on there. Uh, we joined in two thousand eight. We had SMS texting. Remember texting when it didn't involve WhatsApp? That's what we had. Snapchat started in my sophomore year. Uh, you were saying that, huh? Yeah. Um, next question in your personal and well-based opinion: What do you think is uh, a negative internal trigger versus positive internal trigger? Which one is more powerful, or is it equally balanced? What do you think about that? Me or the class? Anyone? <laughs> Is it because of what, sir? Like the negative bias that was mentioned, that everybody's saying that because Quite I'm possibly everybody. I mean, all of you uh, pop out social media. Jab kuch achcha hota hai, yeah, if you're having a lot of fun with your friends, you want to show the world that you're having fun. I don't know about the strength of the trigger, but it could just be the frequency. I think negative triggers or emotions happen a lot more frequently than positive ones, which is a sad state of affairs. Um, I don't like spitballing. I'd say maybe ten percent of my day is happy, and twenty uh, percent is negative, and then the remaining is just indifference, which we need more, which is boredom, which is also negative, but not as strong uh, as. Anxiety, for instance. It's also kind of funny how we focus more negative things, but we want to show a positive outlook of ourselves all the time. Like that's the image we build on social media. Mm-hmm. So everybody's gonna tell you, "Okay, my breakdown. Who I are?" So you'll be like, "No, I went out for lunch today with my friends." Everyone is happy all the time on Instagram. That's what I get out of it, which then fuels. Uh, a trigger for yourself that if everyone is having a good time why am i not having a good time so we have anxiety there as well uh, i don't want to seem vulnerable hmm. i notice how everyone for a discussion but everyone's sort of tuned out with their videos ke hame na bolna pade lela you can Cold call anyone, even if they don't have their video on, especially if they don't have their video on, uh, which I said so you can, can do it, but you can't escape Ella's eyes.
Ali says that he is lying down, which is great. Uh, I encourage you guys, by the way, to uh, invest in a pair of wireless headphones. I want you to just stand up and take a walk around your room or something uh, during this class as well. Uh, you don't have to be staring at the screen. I try to explain everything that I have on the screen, as I said, so you don't have to be looking at the screen. Reduce your screen time. Um, and wireless headphones allow you the opportunity to not be rooted to your device. So uh, I once got, I wonder if I still have them. I once got fake AirPods for 600 rupees. So, you know, you can get them for as little as that. Uh, Visma has oil in her hair. Uh, spotlight effect there. I don't think anyone is noticing the oil until you mention it. Uh, but I think that's nice to have a more human uh, interaction here. Everyone is doing their own things uh, while they're uh, taking this class. Um, I think we'll end here. It's 7.15 in a bit. Um, on LMS, I, ha I think I mentioned that the, uh, the guide for hosting is there. So whoever is doing it next week, uh, take a look at that. I'll also send the readings over the weekend. Uh, and also, um, if you want to watch uh, the lectures that we're doing, Moid here is doing a great job of timestamping them. So when you open the YouTube link, it will be in nice little sections. So section one will say intro and then uh, motivation and then ability. And so you can just jump to the section that you want to uh, revise or look at afterwards. So uh, there is that. Uh, thank you, Lela, for volunteering to go first. Uh, and I hope we don't have an anchor effect here where everyone is now going to do what Lela was doing. Uh, you can host your own show however you like. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what I was doing either, so <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing, if I'm honest. Uh, my ear is giving you a thumbs up. Um, it's called the imposter syndrome. And, uh, you know, let. I wonder if I have that article. So. Um, you guys can leave if you want, um, but I am going to read a line from a, an author that I religiously used to follow, um, which I think we can all learn from. So he says that, here we go, where is it, where is it? Uh, dun, 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 dun. The solution to imposter syndrome is to see that you are one. Uh, when I first wrote about how useful it is to remember that everyone is totally just winging it all the time, we hadn't yet entered the current era of leaderly incompetence. Now it's harder to ignore. Uh, but the lesson to be drawn isn't that we're doomed to chaos. It's that you, uh, your unconfident, self-conscious, all too aware of your flaws self, potentially have as much to contribute to your field uh, or the world as anyone else. Humanity is divided into two. On the one hand, those who are improvising their way through life, patching solutions together and putting out fires as they go, but deluding themselves otherwise. And on the other hand, those who are doing exactly the same, except that they know it. It's infinitely better to be the latter um, than the former. Remember, the reason why you can't hear other people's inner monologues of self-doubt is that they don't have them is that you only have access to your own mind. So if you think that you don't know what you were doing today, I'll be honest, I don't know what I was doing today. I've never done anything like this before. 
this is an entirely new component. It's an entirely new course. Last semester was the first time this course was being taught and I haven't picked this course from somewhere. I've created it on my own and I have those self-doubts. Should I really be teaching this or that? Uh, is this the best way to teach it? Um, and maybe you have doubts about, did I make the right choice about taking this course or uh, is this really what I want to be studying? Everyone has those thoughts, those doubts, but you only have access to your own thoughts. And it's always nice to share those thoughts, vocalize those thoughts with other people uh, so that you get some sense of community and it's not just me, uh, everyone else is going through this as well. Um, I will avoid saying we're all in this together. I think that's super cliched uh, and it annoys me no end. And um, one nice way someone put it was this, we're all in the same ocean, but some of us have a boat and others have a yacht. So uh, it's not the same for everyone. Um, so, okay, that's my little spiel here. Maybe I'll share this article. Uh, this guy has nice advice that's not as cliched as you would expect. So I shall see you guys on Tuesday then. Um, yep. All right, bye-bye.